Hey, 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 welcome to How to Be a Texan. How you guys doing? Look at this, Good. we're on Zoom. Crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, and Andrew just pulled a knife during the intro music. <laughs> you guys both brought your switchblades today. I left mine in the other room. Well, you know, it's Texas. <laughs> Gotta have that knife ready to go in case a rattlesnake jumps out in front of you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Gosh, is that music gonna fade out? It's... It's already faded, Andrew. It's already fading. Just talk over it. I'll fix it in the okay. post-production era. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is our first experience with Zoom, so it might be a little rough. But it's amazing. It's amazing. Hey, technology's here, man. I can see you guys. I can see that we've got a script up, and we're ready to go, and we're ready to talk about another Texas legend. Kevin, today it's your pick. So who are we going to talk about? Hmm. How about Stevie Ray Vaughn? Stevie Ray Vaughn, what a legend. You think he's a Texas legend? He is. The more research I've done on him, he he really is. What, what a phenomenal life and uh, a life that ended way too soon, that's for sure. He had come to truly a sweet spot in his life really just before his death yeah so, he had he had just gotten clean or maybe a yeah. year or i think a, maybe a year or two before right um so he was clean he was happy he was feeling good um and just a very very sad tragic situation yeah uh, but we'll yeah. get to that right right so but yeah you know growing up i listened to stevie ray vaughn a lot because i loved guitar music and you know he was just you know right there in the 80s just you know phenomenal yeah um, and do you think he's one of the best guitarists ever i do and i was kind of thinking through today and i was going to put together a bit of a, a framework and i you know kind of ran out of time here but i do think he is right because and there's you know several different ways that you could think about you know what is a great guitarist right um but, you know, his greatness, and I've got some clips from, you know, folks like B.B. King and John Mayer that we can listen to, you know, just talking about him. But, you know, he might not have been as deep, uh, you know, from a musical knowledge perspective as like a classical, you know, musician would be. But when it just came down to picking up the guitar and just playing it, uh, there was, it's hard to find anyone ever that can play like that Other, no. i mean Jimi hendrix is up there he's right up there with hendrix and others like that right uh, just kind of you know he could go to a place and because a lot of it is mental it's a lot like sports right you, you play baseball uh -huh. um you know you can be a really really good baseball player but if you can't if you don't have the mental ability to you know kind of execute during high pressure game situations you know the skill doesn't matter and he had the ability to just walk out no matter what the situation was and play things that were just incredibly over the top, unbelievably hard, uh, but do it in a way that he just made it look so easy and right. just very relaxed. And I don't know. So I, I, I would put him right up there as one of the best uh, ever, uh, you know, from that perspective. Well, I, I know you and Andrew both are great guitarists and, and, and the, 
interestingly, during the pandemic, six months into the pandemic, I've been playing the crap out of my guitar. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with finger picking right now. And so I watch all these really, really, really good, kind of the best finger pickers. And it's kind of more folksy or, uh, you know, there's a bunch of songs that have a bunch of, you know, true finger picking in it. Now, he wasn't a finger picker. He was more bluesy where he he was a lead guitarist, but he could play pretty he much. He could do anything. it all, though. Yeah, he can. He could finger pick acoustic uh, better yeah. than anyone. He right. also, you know, in the early days, he he played in a pop band uh, back in the early days. And he actually played on six tracks on David Bowie's Let's, Dan- Let's Dance album. That's the one um, that I was shocked at. I had yeah. no idea that was Stevie Ray Vaughan on China Girl and all those. Let's Dance. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. Dance. I mean, check, those- check this out. Listen to this. Yeah. Now that you know, you can hear it. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So that's the kind of outro, right? And uh, same thing on China Girl. I was listening to that uh, earlier today also. I didn't pull the clip in here, but. Same thing. The outro to China Girl is a Stevie Ray uh, solo also. Really? Yeah. Well, so it's really you, cool. When you hear that, so when you hear that, you know, that it, clearly he's the lead uh, guitarist in there. So for those of you that don't know how Stevie Ray Vaughan played, he's got a really unique sound, but it's really bluesy. And, uh, and that's really where he grew up. So you know, if you go back to the history of Stevie Ray Vaughan and, and you say, why in the world, Kevin and Kyle, would you guys talk about this guy? Well, you know, he was born, you know, he's born and raised in Dallas, lived in Austin, went back to Dallas. Uh, his his mom and dad, uh, you know, his dad was, uh, you know, I'm not going to say mean and a drunk, but and, and violent. No, he, he was. It, and that's he, pretty well known. Yeah. 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 He, he was, he was that. tough. And so it's interesting when you well, watch. The other- the other thing, too, just real quick uh, on that, his grandparents were sharecroppers, actually, in wow. the Dow- in the Dallas area. OK. Um, and then his dad, you know, came from that. His dad dropped out of high school at 16 and joined the Navy. OK. Uh, and like you said, you know, he became an alcoholic and he was very, very abusive. And Stevie talked about that, you know, later in life. Yeah. So um, so all I was going to say is that when you you. I, I, I watched an interview with Stevie and Jimmy, Jimmy's older brother by three years. Mm-hmm. And, and when I watched that interview, they talked about how their music portrayed the tension. Stevie said, the music has got to have tension in it. My guitar playing has to have tension in it. And he said, and because that's how I grew up, we had tension in our home. Yeah. And because he and Jimmy both said they, they never knew how their dad was going to act if he was going to, and they, they literally called him a rocket. They said, you, you never knew when he was going to go into a rocket mode and just fly off the handle at his mother or the boys. And, uh, and so they played, uh, you, know, you know, with this tension, they called it. And, and you hear that in, uh, I, mean, it's, I mean, literally, when you, when you watch Stevie Ray play, uh, most people don't play this way, but when you play, he's bending strings like to, to get a certain sound 
almost in every riff he makes, he's kind of bending the strings just to get that that twang unique sound to it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I have a great clip from John Mayer talking about that. Actually, I'll just go ahead and play it since we're on that topic. Yeah. Um, and listen to what John, John Mayer makes. A and John Mayer is a phenomenal uh, guitarist also. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, so listen, listen to what John Mayer has to say about that. There are some people, and myself included, who given a certain time of day, certain part of the set, certain culminating energy that happens in the room, you can play with that same intensity, but you can only do it for about 20 seconds. And then your entire <laughs> arm cramps up and you got nothing. Time Magazine is a periodical, National Geographic is a reference. And I think some music, most music, is a periodical. It is something that marks a certain time, a month, sometimes a week. And Stevie Ray Vaughan's music, like all the other great music, which is why it gets compared to Miles Davis, and I compare him to Miles Davis and Jimi Hendrix, there are references. It's almost not a cultural thing, it's just a natural thing. And I think that's what, that's what Stevie Ray Vaughan's music is. I'll be 50 and, and still be discovering something about it in the car. No, but I mean, you're so spot on, Kyle, the way he would bend and, you know, play those notes and like John Mayer and John Mayer, you know, he's one of the best on the planet, right? He says, I can only do that for like 20 seconds and my arm cramps up <laughs> and this guy would go do it for hours and just, no, he would do it. Seems he, so relaxed. Yeah. Well, and you talk about a traveler because when, when they were in the seventies, you know, you, you, you talk about somebody that really worked their way through, um, you know, some, some hard times. Mm -hmm. And his band members were talking about him and they said, you know, and instead of they really, they were looking as he was learning, he was looking back at the Beatles and all the late sixties, you know, kind of the British pop bands that were coming on. And that's really what got him inspired, but he really learned from the blues guys. That's really mm -hmm. what hit his kind of heartstrings. And, and he went back to the great, great black blues players who were phenomenal. And that's really where he got his inspiration. And so then you look at during the 70s, the majority of the 70s, you know, he's playing with a number of different bands. Um, and then and he's in high school. Yeah. Well, yeah. So he starts yeah. at 12. You know, he, yeah. he picks up a three string toy guitar. Jimmy got a, a, a real guitar when, I don't know, they were, I can't remember, like 10, he was 10 and then Jimmy, uh, I'm sorry, Stevie was seven. Mm -hmm. I think that's when he got his three string toy guitar. And every time Jimmy would leave, uh, Stevie would pick up Jimmy's guitar and play it. And so by the time he was 12, he was already really, really, really good. You know, have I told you a story? I have a friend who... Uh, grew up and knew them as kids. Oh, wow. And and this guy plays bass, and he would go over and play bass with Jimmy when they were wow. kids. Oh, and, that's fun. And I said, I said, so you knew Stevie Ray Vaughan? He said, well, back then, Stevie Ray was just a little kid. And he just said, jump. and he said, and he was an annoying kid. And he would, like, sit on top of Jimmy's amplifiers and mess with the knobs while we were trying to, you know, have a jam <laughs> session and stuff like that. Well, uh, so I had it, no you know, idea who, who, you know, who was sitting there on that amplifier. One of the greatest well, ever. Interesting, you know, cause Jimmy went on and, uh, you know, he had the fabulous Thunderbirds that, that mm -hmm. was his band. Yeah. Um, and they played and, and the nice thing is toward the end of 
Stevie's life, they actually, after he was clean, he and Jimmy got back together and made an album together, which was neat. Yeah. Um, and they both said that was one of the happiest times, you know, of their life after they'd been through so much. But going back to the 70s, you know, he was a, a you know, a, a, a bunch of different bands that did not work. They, he moved from Dallas to Austin and said, you know, the interesting thing, it was Dallas was back in the day when that was in the early 70s, super straight, you know, Bible Belt, Dallas. And then he goes to Austin. It's the opposite, total opposite of that. You know, the the lead guitarists, the, you know, the heads of the bands, they were just iconic uh, through the streets of Austin. And there was a group of them that lived in just really not a nice house at all in East Austin. And uh, they felt like they needed to, for them to be able to play the blues, they needed to live the blues. Mm -hmm. And uh, they even said that. They're like, we've got to, we got to have some low time so that we can feel it and express ourselves and our stories through our songs in the blues. And they really believe that. And sure enough, they did have hard times. And that's when they got in all the alcohol. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of cocaine. Like for example, you know, Stevie would say for him to wake up, he would put, he would drop, um, you know, cocaine in a glass of whiskey. And that was his wake up call. That was like his morning coffee. That was his morning coffee. And that's what ended up, really getting him because after he had done that for a long time, I think when they were over in London, uh, finally he, he's throwing up on the side of the, you know, the street with his drummer and throwing up blood. They get him to the doctor. The doctor says, you've got a month to live unless you clean up because that cocaine that you've been ingesting has been ripping the the lining of your stomach out. Yeah. The doctor said, uh, your stomach looks like the stomach of a 69 year old man. That's what he said in one interview. Wow. I got a funny story uh, about that Austin uh, time uh, timeline uh, from, and this is a clip from uh, Jimmy and they're talking about, you know, they would, they would play in these clubs or just kind of hang out in these clubs. They were still unknown when this happened. Um, And uh, they would go watch Albert King, who's a legendary blues player. So this is a funny story about one of those nights uh, with Albert King. Check this out. Here we are at Anton's. I don't know what year it was. If you ever saw Albert King play, he's like Goliath with a guitar. He's the meanest, baddest guitar player you've ever heard of. Look at Anton and says, uh, hey, I have this kid that I want you to let sit in and play with you. Wait a minute, you know, so this is I Albert often King. think about the time you would come in dragging your little guitar. <laughs> and say, I want to sit in. They say, Steve is here. Let him sit in. Albert King's got 10 hits. I mean, he's hot. Albert just kind of looks at, at Clifford like you're crazy. I know, who is Stevie? I bring him on up. Let him sit in. He was a little offended and he said, okay, bring him up. And I think they were, he was going to do a number on him. Stevie plugged in and, you know, and started playing Albert King licks <laughs> and doing them really good. So Albert just sort of went, okay. And he just sort of took him under his wing. I wouldn't have dared gotten up there. I don't think anybody in the room would have got up there. You don't go and ask Albert King, can I sit in? You're crazy. He didn't like anybody else, but he liked Steve. 
<laughs> yeah, I, you don't I saw, go ask Albert King if I could just sit in and jam with you. <laughs> well, I, I, again, back back to that VH1 uh, thing that I just watched on on Stevie's life. Albert King, they talked to him, and and there was a really sweet interview between the two of them. And Stevie said, "This is my godfather," and mm-hmm. it's like, "What?" You know, and and sure enough, both of them acknowledged they had a real love for each other. And, um, and it was, it was funny. It was very paternal the way that Albert was talking to Stevie, like, Hey man, you're good, but you can get better. And the only way you can get better is through hard work. And I'm going to be praying for you, boy. It was just so sweet. The interaction between those two. Um, and and sure enough, when you watch Stevie play, uh, it, it, it was kind of like John Mayer said that he could just go and go and go. But I think that's because during those seventies, those early years, they would play. And Stevie talked about, he said, they'd get 20 minutes off at a time. They'd play till two, three in the morning and he'd get 20 minutes off. So he could go and take a break, use the bathroom, get a drink, whatever. And then he's back at it and he's playing for hours and hours and hours. So when you watch him play, the guitar is literally an extension of him. It's not like it's him. And then this instrument, it's like it's part of him and he's just playing it. And, and what all the, the blues guys said uh, when they interviewed was that you, and these are the greatest blues players ever. And they're saying, when you, when you play that, you've got to give a hundred percent. And Stevie, he wouldn't hold back all the right. time. He was 120%. He was feeling it. And again, back to that tension, you feel it during his, his music. Yeah, here's B.B. King saying uh, something very similar. And then I have an example of that uh, after this. So let's hear B.B. King. Right. Just seemed to be flawless the way he moved with it. Uh, He, when I play, I play sort of like talking, you know, you know, syllables, you say a sentence here, a sentence there. And, you know, then I got to stop and think for something else to, to keep my conversation going. But his didn't seem to be that at all. It was fluent. It, he flowed when he played. Uh, he could get something going and it was like a song and it would just go on and on and ideas continuously flowed. I don't have that. Uh, and it's not a lot of people that I hear that do have it. Yeah, you know, I mean, blues is an improvisational style right Right. so you generally have a you know chord progression and then you know you are literally on the fly it's like it's like having a like bb says like having a conversation right you know Mm -hmm. we don't sit here and plan out every word we're going to say we're just kind of you know a thought comes we verbalize it um and but stevie was able to do it in a way that just nobody else could like bb was saying right you know bb king is like yeah i have to stop and gather my thoughts right but this guy could just go yeah. and go and i have I'd an example that, of yeah go ahead Kyle. That, that's a that's a pretty powerful compliment when you get bb king saying that this guy was great yeah and yeah. i have an example of that uh this is just a, a snippet of a solo from uh texas flood mm-hmm. um and you'll hear kind of what bb king is talking about i tried to pull out and it's maybe about a minute long yeah but you'll hear, hear him just kind of go to a place where guitar players just generally can't go so check this out and this is a live show 
I mean, that's just crazy. Hold on, hold on, Andrew. Hey, just go grab your guitar and recreate that real quick. You mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just not it's just not humanly it, no there was he's there like was from another another, another there, planet another level another one of those super uh, top jazz guys who's an incredible guitarist i can't remember clay something i can't remember that dude's name but he said there's going to be a lot of frustrated get people playing guitar trying to play stevie ray stuff that'll always be frustrated because that's right have that gift well, that's good stuff. So then you get toward, you know, so he's a train wreck. He, he, uh, he marries uh, a young lady that, uh, that he, uh, meets in Austin. Uh, they're married for about seven years. Uh, she gets fed up with the drugs, the alcohol, she leaves him. There's another interview where you see him, you know, and it's right after her and he's sad about that, but he's like, Hey, my, my second wife left me, but I still got my first wife and it's a, a 1958 Stratocaster or whatever, <laughs> whatever his guitar was. He said, but my first wife, matter of fact, she screams for me. She, she's always playing for me. You know, I mean, it was really a sweet, just how he and that guitar, yeah. you know, really were one. And and then he, uh, he did have that episode in London where he, I think it was only, was it three weeks or three months where he had to go in to rehab. They canceled the tour and, yeah. um, and he got clean. And then after that, he came out. He had some time before uh, before his death. He met another young lady who actually he had met. And she came to his rescue there in rehab and uh, was with him. They married again and uh, are, are married. Uh, that was his second official wife other than his guitar. And uh, she was uh, with him through the end when he was 35. And, um, and so then... I, yeah, I do. Go ahead. I, I do have a few uh, clips that we can work in there. Um, yeah. You know, one of him talking about his influences, and there's actually kind of three clips I want to play in a row here, and these are all I think from the same interview. Okay. And these are after he's clean. I do have a funny clip that I'll play that I think is from before he was clean. Uh, but he, actually, I'll play that one first, and then we'll turn to the serious stuff. But he talks about. Uh, running into a snake. Uh, listen to this story. And this totally sounds like a made up story. Like he's just dragging these girls along in this interview. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I, Kyle, I think you'll get a kick out of this given your, your I'm stance sure. on the only good snake is a dead snake. So check right. this out. Looking for a piece of paper, not a snake. You opened your drawer and there was a five and a half foot snake. At least. What kind of snake? Copperhead rattler. Holy moly. I mean, no, excuse me, cotton in mouth. Holy moly. <laughs> Yeah. Those things aren't pleasant. We shot him. We shot him at least four times with a 357 Magnum, <laughs> and he got mad. Oh my God! And he got mad. I'm serious. <laughs> he stood up about this high, and went and split, and went oh. back under my house. You never oh killed my it? No, he shot it four times. Oh. At least maybe five. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hard to miss a snake from. Here to your knee with a 357. Oh, there were guts and everything all over the doors, but it was like he didn't care. And he just, he went. just made him mad. <laughs> That's scary. And they travel in pairs. Oh, good, good. We never found the other one. <laughs> I'm okay, pretty yeah, sure that was before he was clean. Like, if you watch that on YouTube, he's a little. A little wild-eyed and kind well, well, of... Well, first of all, I like how story. he describes a snake because he talked about the three snakes that are in Texas. <laughs> copperhead. It was a copperhead rattler. Copperhead rattler. Like some hybrid. <laughs> but he yeah. said the other one, too. 
Cotton mouth. Cotton mouth. He called out all three. He didn't say. Watch out for the water moxin. Watch out for the water moxin. Moxin. Yeah. What was that one story that he told? Or I can't remember if it was him, but there was like a there's an album that he did with Albert King. Yes. And I can't remember if it's him telling the story or if it's Albert King telling the story, but it's about him and like Janis Joplin. It's Albert King. Yeah. And it's from that oh, okay. same, it's a DVD also. I've watched it. It's, it's from that same clip uh, that Kyle was talking about where uh, it's during that same one where Albert King says, you know, you're a pretty good player, but if you keep working hard, you know, you might make something of yourself. Yeah, it's in yeah. that same, that same uh, thing. And it's a real cool DVD because they are, jamming together and then they have these conversations in between but albert king tells this really weird story about um janice joplin and Jimi hendrix and playing with them in san francisco and somehow stevie ray vaughn walks in and i mean if you think, uh, so i don't even i can't make sense of it it's such a it's such a bizarre sounding story and i don't even know if albert king even knew of Stevie Ray Vaughan before Jimi Hendrix died in the late sixties. <laughs> yeah. Very bizarre. I've never been able to quite piece that <laughs> together, but that is you. the one you're thinking about, Andrew. Yeah. You, I've never opened a drawer in my desk and a four and a half foot, uh, triumvirate of a rattler cotton mouth copperhead jumped out. I've never had that happen. And I shot it five times with a 357 guts everywhere. Didn't care. <laughs> I've never had that happen. And it ran out with its guts left behind and it crawled under the house so mad yeah <laughs> and and they were there was a pair and he never found the other one in his house never found the other one <laughs> i i truly appreciate the quality of the, like if somebody has the ability to just make up a story like that and it <laughs> i like that that's my kind of guy on. i really oh, yeah. appreciate and you hear those ladies he's talking to i mean they're oh just, my god yeah. oh my that's a big gun <laughs> and he, he just, just keeps <laughs> going on with it it's so bringing him along yeah. Um, yeah. But also he was a very humble guy, you know, and I think that is, you know, and we talked about that on the Van Clyburn episode, how he was so phenomenal, but very humble. And right. I think that's a, you know, I think that's something to be proud of. Uh, also, he well, talked he, about his influences a lot. And here's a clip from a more serious. Uh, and this is after he was uh, sober, okay. uh, where he talks a little bit about who his influences were. And it's, it's really kind of touching, actually. What has inspired you throughout? Through, who was who your El your Supremo? Um, my brother, Jimmy Vaughn, who is a, he, he's the reason I got started, and he's also the inspiration for a lot, a lot of musicians. Um, because of him, I was, I was able to hear B.B. King, Freddie King, Albert Collins, Albert King, Lonnie Mack, Buddy Guy, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Kitty Brill, Jimmy Smith, on and on, on and on. And they're all very big influences. Yeah, so he always, you know, paid homage to those influences, but also his brother, you know. And yeah. I think, you know, I think it was a situation, you know, growing up in a very rough house where they just kind of leaned on each other, you know. No, he, and, he uh, was. I think whenever they were together, he deferred to Jimmy because I think Jimmy was a little bit kind of more outgoing. And they even said as a kid, you know, Stevie was just the quiet kid that was just hanging around. Very uh, quiet, very insecure is what yeah. uh, people would say. Yeah. yeah. But the, the sweet thing that I saw was after, you know, he got clean that he would actively look for people uh, that were, you, you know, in need. 
and and he would talk to him. I saw one of his concerts where he just stopped the whole thing. And he was playing in the background, but he was talking to the audience. And he's like, hey, man, you know, drugs will get you. Alcohol will get you. You know, it got me. You saw that. I'm clean now. And I just want to encourage you that there are people that need you around. And so I'm just telling you to just just do whatever you got to do to get away from that. And yep. Uh, yep. it was powerful. It, yeah. and, and his band members said that he just lit up whenever somebody would approach him and say, you know, Hey, look, I need help. And he would just light up, you know, cause he really felt like he could help people steer him in the right direction. Mm -hmm. you know, here's so. a, a, here's a clip from a, and it's from a longer clip where he talks about, you know, in detail, alcoholism and the disease and how it works. But this is a briefer clip from that, where he talks about some of that stuff. And um, he was an advocate or, you know, a role model really tried to help folks after he got, after he got clean. How long were you uh, under the influence, and what exactly made you turn around? Well, it was a it was over a period of about 25 years that, uh, in one form or another, I was you know drinking or using something, and uh, it got to the point where finally I knew for I knew for quite a while that I could, that I had a problem with things like that with with drugs and alcohol. But it was also at the same, it was, it was, I knew that I had a problem, but I couldn't stop. And I knew that I couldn't stop. Every time that I had more pressure seemed to be a good excuse for more. And every time there was less pressure, it was party time. Those, that's the disease telling you that you don't have it. Just obvious that I could not keep going and went and saw Dr. Victor Bloom in London. He put me in London Clinic, which is a private, private hospital. I did detox there. And we also checked out my stomach because I was having some struggle problems, possible ulcers. And it was just, come to find out it was just, there was, he said my stomach looked like a 65-year-old man. Uh, after, after I left that hospital, I was in London for three or four days, I guess, and came back. To, to the States, went and checked in immediately to a uh, charter Peachford Hospital in Atlanta. I was there for about a month. And what that place did not only is a, is a good place to be away from the, uh, away from drugs, you know, you do clean out that way. But it not only taught us, it not only got, got us dried out, all of the people that were in there and that have gone through them before, but it gives you, it teaches you a set of tools. Yeah. So he went on to talk about, you know, it, it, it taught him, you know, that the first drink, you can never do that, you know, and it, and it gave him tools to use to never, never go back again. It's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. He even gets into some of the details about, you know, the science, the science and how your body processes. It was a pretty long clip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was, he was very much, you know, and he talked about how, you know, when he, when he first went back to playing shows, um, he was a little bit nervous, right. About getting back on tour and stuff. He didn't know if he could still do it without all the, yeah. Cause like we talked about so much energy that he would have to exert. He was worried that he couldn't do it, uh, without the drugs. And of course he did, you know, he was phenomenal. Yeah. I, um, I think the band talked about the first album they made once he was clean and Jimmy was clean after that too. Uh, it, it took him a little while to kind of figure out how to, how to do it. Um, you know, straight. 
And uh, it took, they said that it took, took them a couple of days, but then once they got into a groove, then, then they did just fine. They were rocking it. Yeah. Uh, this it, is one uh, where, you know, this interviewer is trying to get him to brag a little bit, right. Uh, about his, you know, and again, this is later in life after he was already pretty much a legend. Uh, but I just wanted to play these couple of clips just to show the humility that he has. He's a really great guy. You're appreciated around the world from Montreux to, to Carnegie Hall. What do you think your overall appeal to the mass public is? Um, that I do the best I can to play what I really like. And it's honest. You were discovered by uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richard. So well, actually, I was discovered by my mama. <laughs> All right. And we were because she came to your aid, too, when you were, yeah. had a little fall off the stage, and uh, she was right there with yeah. you through it. You know, that's what mom's all about. Uh, yeah. um, but they credit you as being probably one of the greatest guitarists of all times. I keep trying to be. I keep trying to be. I don't know that I am. I just know that I do the best that I can. I don't know that I am. I just do the best I can. Yeah. What an attitude, man. No, nah, it's good. Well, and he was just a guitarist for a long time, and then finally they needed him on vocals, and he's got a really unique voice. I don't think anybody would say it's phenomenal, but it's a really unique voice and a great sound with mm-hmm. that, his voice plus his guitar. Yeah, so. so much so that John Mayer copied it. <laughs> John <laughs> Mayer does copy his voice and his guitar sound. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to his death, So, um, and then we'll wrap up. But uh, okay. there was a uh, – uh, this – I don't know, festival. It was a two or three day festival up in Wisconsin. And it was like one road in, one road out. That it was a ski resort, like a ski resort, I think. Is that what it was? I think it was some kind of resort. And, you know, so it's kind of nestled in these mountains, apparently, and literally like one road in and one road out type of thing. Yeah. So they had four helicopters that they were ferrying from Chicago, the all the artists back and forth every day. And uh, I think he just, they finished. They had a phenomenal day. They said that he he had never played that good. He was so happy. He was on top of his game. He blew everybody away because at the end of that day, they got, I don't know, six of the best guitarists on the planet yep. together, and they were just jamming out. And Stevie, what by far, was you know kind of the highlight of that. Have you ever watched any of those kind of clips? I've watched a lot of those over the years where you'll see him playing. Uh, he did some shows with Jeff Beck. Um, in the late eighties, like they did a tour together. And so there's clips of him playing next to Jeff Beck or playing next to Eric Clapton, you know, the legends playing next to BB King. And he just, they look so unimpressive next to him. It's just incredible. And and he's not trying to show off or anything. It's just that, that there's just something different about him. Oh you know? no, there's something. To, I mean, he had a real gift. So, um, so anyway, at the end of this, they have a great day together. Um, I think he's done. He's going to go back to the hotel in Chicago and sleep. He grabs one of the four, um, sp- spots on the helicopter. It crashes into a foggy hillside and, um, and then they let everybody know. And there was there was rumor that Eric Clapton was on that same helicopter. Obviously, he wasn't. Yep. Uh, but he certainly could have been because there were literally four that were just taking them all back and forth. Mm-hmm. And he just got on the one that uh, that crashed. He died, 35 years old. Uh, and that was it. Yeah, it was really, really sad. I remember it. I, I, 
I heard about it at work and really? uh, I was just like sh- shocked. It was, uh, yeah. Like, you know, what? This can't be, you know, it was one of those like, ah, eh, this can't be true. Right. Right. Uh, this was before social media and everything else. So I think literally somebody heard it on the radio at lunch. <laughs> you know? Right. It <laughs> came right. in the office like, oh, Steve Ravon died. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Well, I tell you really, what, really he, sad. you know, he, he qualified, I mean, you know, our, we've only got a handful of people that we've honored with the Texas legend, uh, episode, but he clearly is one, um, you know, his, his flame went out too early. It's a shame that, you know, he, in that interview, he talked about 25 of his 35 years were had substance abuse ish in it. That's just a real shame. Uh, but yeah. what, what a gift he had. I love playing the guitar. I know you guys do too but I don't have that gift. I mean, when I pick up something, it's a struggle to learn it, master it and be somewhat okay at it. Yep. But I'm telling you, it is when it's like an extension of you, like it was him that what, what a gift. So, yep. Yep. Very amazing. Yeah. Hey, Andrew, why don't you play us out? Why don't you play us a little tune? <laughs> oh, good job, Andrew. Wow. Andrew. Man. You picked that up quick, buddy. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I just happen to have this band here, too, to play along with. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> You've had nothing else to do in quarantine except jam, right? All right, Kevin. Well, hey, well, this was a great episode. I appreciate uh, us spending some time just honoring Stevie Ray Vaughan. What a great Texas legend. I agree, man. This is fun. I think it was really good. And thanks, Andrew, for jamming us out, man. You've been really practicing during your COVID quarantine or something. <laughs> we knew that. <laughs> All right. Uh, look us up on iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're out there. Uh, give us a review. We'd appreciate it. Adios. All right. See y'all. I'd like to talk to you for a second if I can. I'd like to start off by thanking God that I'm alive and well enough to be here with you tonight. You know, this is a big world and there's a lot of things that we need to be taking care of. Because all I know is that we're supposed to take care of each other the best we can. And it seems to me that to be able to take care of each other, first we must take care of ourselves. Not too long ago, I was a victim of not taking care of myself. It's a dead end street. What I'm talking about is drugs. They're dead in the street. They kill you. They're people. See, what they do is they take away the love. They make you not care about yourself so you don't know if somebody else cares about you at the same time. So if you remember nothing else about today, remember to help yourself. So you can't help your brothers and sisters. Let's get some love back around here, okay?
Fast and Children, and I forgot us with your drive.